green, some uh, brown uh, rust coloration. And was there anything of value in the car? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, a tape deck, some Credence tapes, and there was a uh, uh, my briefcase. In the briefcase? Uh, uh, papers, um, just papers, uh, you know, uh, my papers, business papers. And what do you do, sir? I'm unemployed. Episode 98 of the Cult of Matt and Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to hit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. Show news. Got any show news this two weeks, this past two weeks, because oh, we didn't boy. get our shit together. No, we didn't. But boy, I'll tell you, this last week was a real haul. It's been real cold up here in the Pacific Northwest. I heard they had some light frosts in California and everybody lost their shit. Their cars skidding all over the uh, 405 down in down in LA. Oh. Did it go further north? Was that the the frost? There was belt? a. St- a I was uh, There was a special frost warning down there. <laughs> you almost sound like you were down there, but I know you weren't. Uh, I just I was I was. People always complain about how uh, drivers in the Northwest can't drive when there's snow, which is true, obviously, since we don't drive in it much. Yeah, but the same thing goes for like a light frost or a, or a drizzle down to california uh, well true but uh, one thing i always call horse shit on with regard to people bitching about seattle drivers not being able to drive in the snow i lived in wyoming for three years we got shit tons of snow uh the drivers there are about as equally inept as the drivers here the difference is about seattle is we have fucking hills and whenever you throw a hill into the mix with ice it doesn't matter if you're Mario Andretti of ice driving, your car is going to fly down the hill or not make it up the hill regardless. So all those people that say Seattleites can't drive in the snow, I tell them to go fuck themselves because it's absolutely true. Anyway, that's well, at mind. least you can stay on the public transit and you'll know you'll be perfectly safe no matter what hill <laughs> you traverse on a, on a, on a, on a, on like one of those articulated buses. I remember our uh, recently voted out mayor. Actually, not recently. The one before the other one. Yeah, uh, Nichols, Greg Nichols, had a compact snow and ice uh, policy with regard to Seattle streets. (laughs) That worked out real well. Yeah, he said, oh, we're just going to sand on top of the compact snow and ice. And that went on for about four or five days. Like, no snow had touched Seattle in four or five days. And I was downtown, I think, on 4th and... and, uh, battery or something like that and i saw one of those articulated buses just peeling out in chains halfway going up a hill full of people and then it slowly jackknifed and then came to a rest a few yards later and i was like oh yeah great policy get everybody to ride public transportation that fucking goes nowhere as if that's gonna solve it now you know people say you know you know at least you can depend on public transportation every time it's snowed and i've tried to take public transportation the bus just never arrives <laughs> you're just sitting out there in the snow going what the fuck's happening nobody else has any idea either. i think 
what they mean is is uh, if you live in a progressive city with a subway system, uh, go ahead and take that public transportation because that will uh, avoid all snowfall oh. to get you to work. You know, so after that big, you don't remember during that same snowstorm? This was some time ago. There was one articulated bunch like hanging over the freeway. Oh yeah, like up off a, a concrete wall against the hill yeah, and like actually that. fell down the abutting street it was about a third of it was hanging over i-5 yeah <laughs> we have up here in seattle what i call snow porn on the local news because the local news does basically cnn style coverage of a snow event all day long and it's just ridiculous so i call it snow porn and when i take a day off from work because i don't want to drive in then I'll, I'll sit there and watch it like uh some kind of addict uh, all day long because it's just like it's too delicious to 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 pass up it's almost as good as all that russian dash camera stuff i know that shit's <laughs> good we might have to save that for all this talk for our 100th episode but we got to get to the movie right oh now. no i'm it's not just... done with my show news yet One Oh shit thing. more show news Fuck. so um May if you culpa? remember from a few weeks ago i actually I, from the last hardcore history I actually took advantage of their audible.com special offer and got yeah. my free audiobook, which was a very good uh, World War One book called The World Undone. But my uh, first, I get a you subscribe every month, and then you get one credit you can get one book okay. with. So uh, my first month came up, and I got uh, World War Z. Oh, yeah. Which was I, in a, a nearly unabridged, but not completely unabridged format with some pretty good uh, voice acting. And I listened to that a couple times. Enjoyed it quite a bit. That was one of the first gifts I gave my wife. That's why so I wanted I to mention it. You had mentioned that the other day. Very romantic, that book. Special place in my heart. All right. Uh, a little too long in the tooth here uh, with the show news. Uh, this week, and sorry, it's been a belated week, uh, but uh, I don't know. We could, we could blame it on birth. We could blame it on death. But I think I'm just going to blame it on Mark this this go-around. Oh, you play. know, I also uh, saw Skyfall, the latest James Bond movie this week. That was pretty good. I thought it was a, a real... Real nice, uh, nice movie type plot, and I enjoyed yeah. uh, whatever. What is that Central American actor guy who played the bad guy in it? I thought his performance uh, was really good. Oh, shit, over my, I just, I no. Have I you seen Skyfall? It. Oh yeah, I've seen it. It was filmed in Glencoe, Scotland, uh, which you and I drove through when we were there. Yeah, beautiful. I thought some of the it was it was uh, some pretty beautiful stuff. It was a nicely filmed movie. Oh, but back to chewing me out for uh, not being. I'm not going to chew you out. I'm just saying that uh, you know the, it wasn't a life event. It was uh, I don't know what the fuck it was. Uh, it was a market and lazy event. Wow. All right. That's Hopefully all right. It's... Look, that's the way it goes. Sometimes I'm not the, the most dependable person in the world. I know, but you've been so consistent for 97 episodes, and then. Fall, hits, my life's so... falling apart, Matthew. I, I can't keep this drug and alcoholism. <laughs> It's just really starting to eat into my normal time. And the gambling, well, I've been up at the Indy Casino get... every night playing Pi Gow. I can't stop myself. I I'm just... so in debt. The, the <sighs> tribe's coming after me. They, they, they call me and threaten me on the telephone. Oh, they should. They should scalp your fucking ass. That's what they should do. For no other reason than just not getting the podcast together. Can, hey, can you put that. in, you got some tribe in you. Can you put some uh, a good word in with me? Uh, Tell them I'm I good for it. I tried to get some Indian scholarships back in college. Uh, but sadly, I think I was an eighth. No, I was a 16th of a legitimate tribe and you needed to be an eighth to get any money. Mm. And, uh, I kind of felt really lame. I felt like, uh, I had a little white man's guilt doing that, exploiting the red man for a little bit of uh scholastic coin and it wasn't much, but 
you know, you do what you do. All right, that's enough of this bullshit. Let's get on to the movie. Holy shit. Come on, man. Man, okay, this week, sorry, folks, for the delay, is The Big Lebowski, uh, the cult film, Everest. I would say the Everest of cult films, uh, The Big Lebowski. Uh, Much has been written. Much has been uh, said since its release. Uh, Quick plot rundown. There are two men named Jeffrey Lebowski. One is a lazy, pot-smoking, white Russian-drinking hippie who goes by the name The Dude. The other is a self-made, handicapped, multi-millionaire war veteran. You know, this isn't the one I wanted to read. I apologize. Let's find the one you want to read. Yeah, okay. Uh, (laughs) Because that one's just full of lies right there. Uh, Anyway. When the dude Lebowski is mistaken for a millionaire Lebowski, two thugs urinate on his rug to coerce him into paying a debt he knows nothing about. While attempting to gain recompense for the ruined rug from his wealthy counterpart, he accepts a one-time job with high payoff. He enlists the help of his bowling buddy Walter, a gun-toting Jewish convert with anger issues. Deception leads to more trouble, and soon it seems that everyone from porn empire tycoons to nihilists wants something from the dude. So uh, there was it was pretty good. There was one false statement in that mm. only Wu picked on peed on the rug. The other guy whose name I can't remember did not urinate on the rug. Yeah, but they were referred to as the rug peers uh, several times in the film. So I mm. don't know. You there might have been I some confusion. Yeah, a little. You can you can throw maybe dribbled a little bit out his pant leg <laughs> as he left. Uh, you know, I don't know where to start with the Big Lebowski. Let's start with some personal anecdotes. Where Where were you when you first saw the Big Lebowski? Oh, I don't know. I didn't see it in the theater. I must have saw it on uh, DVD or something. You never saw it in the fucking theater. Well, hold uh, it. What, what year was this? Ninety ninety eight. Yeah. I look. I was busy napping. I was tired. I was busy failing like chemistry class. I think at the time. Uh, I was no, that, that was that's when I went back to college and actually knocked it out of the park. <laughs> I was in Wyoming at uh-huh. the Laramie Triplex, probably next to Robert Roten, one of our favorite uh, mm. movie reviewers. Oh, I didn't see if Roten had a review on this one. That's a shame. And I didn't know what to expect, but uh, I I was frightened by how much I was laughing throughout the film, and frightened by delighted. I guess it was it was a spectacular surprise that this movie was so fucking funny and i i it's funny in a way that other movies just aren't and i think it's uh special to the cone brothers i i think it's a character essay this the whole movie is about it, it has a plot not really but it's more about characters and that's you know it, it what all cone brother movies are are more or less about is sort of character studies you don't think about the plot so much as you think about the scenes the interactions of the characters in the scenes and the fucking big lebowski is just so hilarious the actual big lebowski guy no 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 the the movie movie itself the movie is just so fucking hilarious because you have all these crazy characters beautifully drawn beautifully rendered and then you kind of combine them throughout the film into little set pieces and it's just delicious it's just you know the i don't know i don't know i'm I'm gonna ramble a lot probably during this podcast because i love this movie Uh, look at me i'm rambling look at me i'm rambling oh and that's fucking brilliant you know sam elliott as sort of the uh, raymond chandler 
third-person narrator that doesn't really know what the fuck he's talking about. I remember reading an anecdote that Sam Elliott was hired, and he's like, I don't really even know what you want me to do here, guys, but I'll do it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think they just hired him because of his uh, great uh, voice. Uh, but there is one sort of political issue I wanted to bring up about the Big Lebowski, and I was watching this for the, probably the, I don't know, 30th time. I can't imagine how many 30 times? times? Seen, I don't know. I've seen the Big Lebowski a ton. So, Matt, you must have watched this movie at least as many times as my younger brother. There's actually a story uh, a few years ago during a Christmas gift exchange. That's what our family does. Everybody buys like a $40, $50 gift, and we uh, play a little game where, you know, people... I think you've seen this sort of gift exchange bullshit before. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. It's sort of fun, though. You, you know, you might end up with something decent. Anyways, I bought this. I got this really great Black Friday deal on a little, like, video uh, alarm clock. And um, I bought, like, a cheap one-gig uh, SD card, and I put I transcoded the Big Lebowski onto it. And uh, so this alarm clock had the Big Lebowski in it, and you could nice. play it at any time you wanted. And he said he watched the Big Lebowski so many goddamn times sitting in bed on that video <laughs> alarm clock. <laughs> he says dozens of times he watched the movie. That's a fucking awesome idea. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant, man. Like, you watch what? Like, a snooze alarm's worth of it? And, uh, uh, you know, it was just, you know, it's like a, it was like this little Phillips thing. It, I didn't, I was thinking about it for me, but, uh, you know, I didn't really need a fucking other video screen in my life. So I, I gave it away at the, uh, you know, black, I used to be more into shopping back then, I, but, uh, I'm, I'm guessing this was your younger brother, Pete. Yeah. It he was. seems, yeah. Was. Cause he seems more like the big Lebowski, uh, so, watching type then. Yeah. I think he enjoyed it. Um, so what did you see on your 30th viewing? Well, I was I, I was trying to mine the Big Lebowski because I've read, you know, with the anniversary in two thousand eight, there was uh, I don't know like Salon and Slate and Vanity Fair, all had retrospectives on the Big Lebowski and uh, you know what it all meant and why we glom on to that movie so much and why there's a Big Lebowski or there's a Lebowski fest that. Uh, uh, attracts super fans and they all dress up a la Rocky Horror like their favorite characters. And like, what is the, the je ne sais quoi of the Big Lebowski that makes it, I guess, so uh, cherished by uh, cult film fans? And I don't really, you know, it seems really nebulous what that is. And, and I think it's just, uh, we should just credit the Coen brothers' magic to uh, the Big Lebowski. It just it hits all the right notes, and there's not any fat in any of the scenes. Every every scene has little morsels of, of just beautiful silliness in it that you just you can't let go, and you remember each and every one of them. But I was thinking more kind of the commentary, at least a little bit of social commentary with regard to uh, the Big Lebowski, and I found something on the Daily Coast, which is a lefty rag on the internet. All right, so this is uh, t- this article is titled "The Big Lebowski: The Dude in Conservative Hypocrisy." And uh, Mark's gonna get a little impatient as I read this because it's a little bit long-winded, but I think it's. I'll pour uh, myself uh, another uh, scotch. All right, it's a little bit. Uh, there's a lot to chew on with this, and I think we can uh, maybe get half a podcast of material out of it. So the Big Lebowski character, as written by the Cohn brothers, is everything the modern Republican has become. The Big Lebowski being the uh, the wheelchaired 
uh, aristocrat in the film, not Jeffrey Lebowski, the dude. Well, they're both Jeffrey Lebowski, but not the dude. Uh, he is a self-proclaimed champion who proudly boasts of his own historical narrative. Best competition achieving, best in competition, achieving all his goals in life through hard work and perseverance. The Le- big Lebowski is a legend in his own mind of all that is noble and hardworking about the Republican aristocratic elite. Never mind that he married a 20-year-old porn star or that his entire inheritance came from his first First marriage. These are mere real-world trivialities, mere facts that get in the way of the Big Lebowski's grand narrative he's constructed around himself. The dude, of course, is the hippie liberal slacker who lives off the system. The dude is a bomb, societal bottom feeder left over from the 1960s. In the Big Lebowski's grand myth, the Big Lebowski is the great titan of industry who paves the way of people like the dude to ride on his coattails. But of course, to maintain this fiction, the Big Lebowski has concocted grand schemes grand theft schemes in which he robs himself to steal from his foundation to pay off his hooker wife. The big Lebowski hero, uh, hero in his own grand fictional Reagan-esque narrative is a corrupt fraud. He has married his way to wealth and now steals from poor kids to pay for his sexual deviancy. The big Lebowski is part David Vitter, part Larry Craig, part George W. Bush. He has the angry old man arrogance of Dick Cheney, the thievery of Duke Cunningham, the entitlement of Trent Lott, and the rage of Newt Gingrich. The big Lebowski, as the Cone brothers brilliantly foresaw, is the arrogant Republican who steals from children and tries to frame poor people with his crimes, all while proclaiming his own greatness and vision. Uh, I could not find anything to disagree with that. I just want to understand this, sir. Every time a rug is micturated upon in this fair city, I have to compensate the person. <laughs> I love yeah. the word micturate. Micturate. Is that, is that, I don't even know what that is. is it just like means to produce, to produce urine. <laughs> That's not urinating? It also is urinating as well. Okay. Well, your thoughts on that one? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you're right earlier in saying this movie is a series of little vignettes with very colorful characters. It's quite witty and um, very funny at times and certainly keeps your interest most of the way. There's some parts that maybe I think fall a little more flat, but that's comedy for you. Uh, it, it can't all be hilarious all the time. It's almost impossible. Um, but there is this overarching narrative that I think that I missed myself on the first several viewings, being so entertained by the comedy and the colorful right. characters. Yeah, you get you get bulldozed by how funny this movie is, how fucking funny this movie is. That you know the the plot is kind of an. It doesn't have. It's all a scam. It's all a scam. It's all a uh, a ruse. There is no uh, damsel in distress. There is no uh, large sack of money. There is no, I guess, film noir type criminals in mm-hmm. in the shadows. It's it's everybody's a fake and a fraud in this film. Well, it's, it is, it's almost like that. I mean, certainly. The person that drives the film is the big Lebowski. Why exactly he's getting the million dollars? I don't know if it it really is to pay off Bunny's debts. I don't I don't believe it is. I think he just needs more money. He, he can't live within his own uh, salary, which is ample. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he just needs more money to do the things he wants. Um, and it's true. The, everything's set up. He just he comes up with a way to steal money from his um. His foundation. wife's foundation in a way where 
he doesn't believe his daughter uh, will turn him into police, which she doesn't. It's interesting that, you know, the characters that are getting played with here, the big Lebowski sort of set up as a, a scapegoat by, I mean, the, the, the dude is set up as a scapegoat right. by the big Lebowski. <clears throat> right. And the dude and the big Lebowski both care about the million dollars quite a bit. They're pretty important to him. The big Lebowski wants a million dollars because that's the whole point. He needs the money. Although he is worried it's going to kick him into that higher tax bracket, so. Uh, well, and the dude, the dude wants a fraction of the money because he's 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 cash starved. Yeah, he's and, he's writing checks for sixty nine cents at Ralph's. Yeah, so he could use twenty thousand dollars. It'd go a long way. He could live for years off of it because he <laughs> lives such a he has such a small nut. The, I think the interesting thing in this movie that really stuck out this time about the million dollars is not so much the big and little Lebowski, which care very much about the million dollars. It's the other two parties that don't that care about the million dollars, but only so much. And when I'm talking about those, that's Maude and the, the pornographer, uh, what's his name? Oh, Jackie Treehorn Treehorn. So Maude and Jackie, they both care about the million dollars, but it's just a million dollars. So they're not going to work too hard for it. Maude tries to figure out, you know, exactly what her father's up to. But she doesn't want to get the police involved. She says just that. And at the end of the film, it's like she doesn't really care that much about the million dollars. I mean, think the dude goes over to her house because she she thinks he's has some she he has some connection with her father. And she thinks that he can uh, uh, find out you know, sort of what really happened with the the money. But look at what she's doing. She's hiring some burned out pot smoker to look for the million dollars. Uh, But her main concern is finding a surrogate sperm donor for her kid and whatever sort of um, uh, social thing she's involved with. I mean, he comes over there and she cuts their whole meeting short uh, to talk to somebody on the phone in Italian. The truth is she only cares so much about the million dollars. You can right. see where she cares a little bit, but it's not really eating up all her hours. And the other guy is Treehorn. He sort of cares about the million dollars. I mean, it's a million bucks. You're not going to turn your back on it. But if he can knock the dude out for a little while so his couple of his thugs can go over and turn his apartment over on the off right. chance the money's there, right. then he does it. But beyond that, I think he just sort of writes it off. Well, right. But I, I, I don't know how you're substantiating the point i just made well i'm just the the point is that all these people work at different levels in society you have the do which is sort of said society you know i'm just going to live on the edges so i can have a roof over my head and some food in my belly none of that i'm going to do what i like to do then you have the big fraud who never really made anything of himself he just sort of happened to cross money so he could put up this great bluster of an important wealthy man. And then you have the two people who really are wealthy. Uh, the person that's a self-made man, Treehorn, right. that has made millions and millions of dollars through his own efforts. He's, and you boots, have, he's bootstrapped himself up using pornography uh, as the yeah, bootstrap. Yeah, he's really the American ideal. And Maude, who's old money, who a million dollars doesn't really worry her that much. She's so comfortable, she doesn't need to preen herself. She's just naturally full of herself. And so it's sort of interesting looking at these different levels of society. And the way I think there's the the old money ideal with Maude, there's the new self-made, truly self-made man with Jackie Treehorn, there's the pompous fake of a self-made man with the big Lebowski, and then there's 
the sort of the the guy who's just said fuck it with the well, dude. And I sort of I like how each of those occupy a different part in society. And I think it's really interesting how they play along with each other. It's well, sort of a it's sort of a movie about classes and their interactions. Well, it is, and part of it, part of watching this, I guess, with a little bit more of a critical eye, this this last go around, so I could have something to talk about for an hour plus, is why. <sighs> I, I've kind of found I've I like sort of discovered my newfound socialism as of late, and one thing I cannot stand, one thing that just makes me want to vomit, is when I hear pundits and talking heads and idiots go on with the bootstrap myth, go on with the trickle down myth, even though the Pope just came out and told those trickle down folks to go fuck themselves, they're full of shit and evil. Happen to agree, it might be Catholic. I don't know. And uh, uh, no, you're cool with gays. <laughs> that's true. No, but you know, really... the the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's right. I've always, be quite honest with you. I think of all the religions, the Catholic Church is probably the best one out there right now. It's it's current makeup. Usually, Catholics they're almost as good as Mormons with a little bit of the fancy underwear stuff sort of put on the back burner. Yeah, it's as goofy. Uh, it's well, I mean, it's been established for more than two thousand years, so it's managed to accumulate quite a bit of wealth. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm kinda, you know, as far as Christian religions go, I'm sort of on the deal with it. You know, I know it has a shitty past, but most religions do. So oh whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, don't. Yeah. You can't uh, you can't hold the sons guilty of the I don't know. transgressions of their grandfathers. But as far as the the monster of unfettered capitalism that humanity has created uh, a legal structure for to to live and consume us. Uh, yeah, I'll take the Catholic Church as my ally in that fight. You know, no, no, no worries there. But um, the whole, like when the, the, the big, I say the big Lebowski, not meaning the dude, I would say the dude, but the big Lebowski at the end gets dumped out <laughs> onto the fucking rug mm-hmm. by Walter, accused of uh, rightly accused of being a gold bricker, and then his little Yorkie comes up and licks him in the face, and he like pouts and tries to push it away. There is something just so delicious about that scene. Like I was like, oh, why do I hate the Big Lebowski in this movie so much? Why is he such a detestable character? And I mean, he he is a villain for lack of a villain in a movie. He he is the villain of this film. And for me, I think it comes from a personal place of disgust with exactly what I was describing with this Reagan-esque uh, delusion that all these fuckers live under. And you get the nod with Nancy uh, here. You know, oh, there's uh, there's Mr. Lebowski with Nancy Reagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, an obvious uh, jab at at Reagan era economics and politics, and I'm just like, oh, that, just what a miserable fucker! Because he's a complete fucking fraud, and that's the issue. Is that with a lot of these conservative talking points, totally d- dismiss dynastic wealth, which is wealth handed down from generation to generation. Uh, the 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 millionaires who are bootstrap millionaires who came from nothing are so very small in the grand percentage of things. Most of the time, uh, folks come from positions of opportunity, uh, if not inheritance. You know, like uh, folks that are able to go to Harvard 
and are able to afford Harvard, make connections, and, and so on and so forth, get their MBA, and then go work for Fortune 500 companies as executives, all that kind of crap. And so this movie... I'm just like, he is a fraud. This is just a total fucking indictment of that attitude. Maybe not the system, but definitely that fucking attitude. And he's no different than the dude. He is a he is a bum, but he keeps calling out the bums, which just makes him just a horrible character. So is it just the hypocrisy? It seems like if you really do hate uh, people, wealthy people, you know, protecting their money and passing it down through the generation seems like you should hate maud more than lebowski lebowski's just a hypocritical the big lebowski's just a hypocritical piece of shit but i don't think he's really the problem well i don't i don't i don't hate maud because maud she benefits from the money but she's definitely not uh i don't see uh, how you can find anything I mean, all the three main wealthy characters, the Big Lebowski, Maud, and Treehorn, look how quickly they use violence. Each one of them has two male thugs that they throw <laughs> around to get things done whenever they need it. They don't, it, I always find it's just, it's just, it's all about, it doesn't matter where your wealth comes from, if you're self-made man, if you're sort of barely f- stringing together a falsehood of being truly wealthy when you're just rich, or if you're, you know, some long-standing wealthy family it doesn't matter who you are if you're hypocritical or if you're truly comfortable with your wealth you still don't have any problem bringing your boot heels down on the lower classes none of these three characters is likable well that's fine oh yeah and i'm not arguing about likability believe me there's there's uh horrible unlikable people uh in all corners of society you could find uh, well, we're talking about the unlikability of the wealthy. I'm not talking about a personal sort of unlikability. I'm talking about the attitude or the excuses that uh, you get from the Big Lebowski in this film about throwing the bums out. You know, the bums lost. He's a fucking bum. He is a total fucking bum. He he married into wealth. He, he doesn't have any talent. Maude even says that he was given a business and he totally fucked it over and cratered it like George W. Bush did with his first oil company that he was handed. You know, you get that whole narrative. And but that's fine, but that's you just don't like the bluster. You don't like the falsehood. You don't mind when Treehorn uses the institutions of society to put the boot heel on top of the dude i don't like your jerk off name i don't like your jerk off face i don't like your jerk off behavior and i don't like you jerk off i mean (laughs) where he uses the the police chief of malibu that real reactionary to basically do to bluster the same way just because treehorn really does draw a lot of water in that beach community you, you find that less I think in the way you're saying me, you don't mind somebody who really draws a lot of water kicking around some piece of shit like the dude, but you don't want to see some guy who's blustered himself up this false reality kicking around the dude. I just don't see where it's different. No, no. I think, I I think it's, it's, it's two different things. Do, do, really? do you, no, of course it's, it's, uh, one is like a behavior exhibited by, wealthy and powerful people the other is just a 
personal logical fallacy, something that just goes up the against the grain of fact. I find the per uh, that's weird. I just don't see why you would be offended more by some delusional idiot and less by the inherent unfairness of society. I just I don't understand why. No, one, I'm, I'm totally why the, well, why the why the former would piss you off more than the latter. Well, no, I'm I'm believe me, I'm I'm offended by both, uh, but differently. Uh, the justification the rich and the powerful use, whether it's divine right or social Darwinism, to maintain uh, their level of exploitation of an underclass is is not only a logical fallacy, but it's also hypocrisy at a morally corruptible level. People who like Jackie Treehorn use thugs to, you know, but it's it's, it's almost like, oh, that's kind of like a tiger being a tiger you know that's uh that's that's what's that the survival of the fittest you know it's social darwinism no 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 no. it's what's that parable about uh the scorpion and the frog you know the frog that's the frog that swims across the river and 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 offers i don't know i didn't go to a private school matt i went to public school (laughs) what school is that because i may have gone there too i don't know (laughs) but anyway I don't know. They're two different things. And I think just sort of the moral flaw, the personality flaw, uh, the hypocrisy. I think hypocrisy just drives me nuts more than social inequality and social. I just like people who are anti-science drive me so fucking nuts. I want to claw their eyes out. And it's that's what they want you to do, man. That's what they want you to be angry. No, they want you to be angry at all these arguments that don't really matter instead of the true devil. Which are the oligarchs that that control our society from their bankers' buildings or something? Well, you're preaching. Yeah, I know you're preaching to the choir on that one. I, I just, I like whether it's anti-vaccination hippie liberals or uh, no climate change wacko conservatives. I'm like, why the fuck do you spew nonsense and use twisted facts to justify your behavior? I don't know. It just drives me so fucking nuts. I just want. I just. I can't stand it. Uh, it's. It. The system is the system. It needs to be changed, and and I understand that. But on a personal level, when you're a complete fraud and you're using uh, nonsense and obvious uh, bullshit to prop up your station in life or justify your position and thinking you're something you're not, delusion. It just oh, it just drives me nuts. I hate people like that. It's just so dishonest. It's like the worst kind of dishonesty, you know. I, I don't know. Uh, to me, that's – and so I kind of focused on that for the film, and I was sort of focusing on uh, the big Lebowski and his calling the dude a bum constantly and just his grand delusion. And it's just not a far cry from assholes – that I see on TV every night uh, saying the same kind of bullshit, and they're as equally fraudulent uh, as far as their station is concerned, whether it be inheritance or marrying money and all that kind of shit. So, I just, I just find myself not as judgmental about hypocrisy these days. It's just such a common position for people to take within themselves and within society that I think if you're just constantly angry at hypocrisy in the world, that you're never really going to be angry at the true slights of the world. Well, hypocrisy justifies that kind of true slights, as you're saying. Uh, It gives people, whether it's religion or, uh, you know, 
and Randian objectivism, it gives people a diluted if it 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 what's the right word? Sully's fact. Fact is uh, a corruptible concept. And to me, that's like one of the most detestable things about humanity. Corrupting fact, corrupting truth. Uh, it doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, like the, what they say, we're like in the post-truth media world or something like that, where you get douchebags on TV and you get one side. Well, we got to have a balanced issue about anything. Everything has to have balance, no matter how stupid and ludicrous it is. We have to have a talking head that's for it and a talking head that's against it. It's like, no, you don't. You don't have to have that at all because most likely both are full of shit. But you don't have to say, like, well, you know, if I uh, walk off of a building and I fall to the ground, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, probably the theory of gravity. And then somebody's like, well, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. You know, it could be uh, I could walk off of a roof and just suspend there. There's there's really nothing that says I couldn't. It's that kind of Well, as long as you believe it, man. You just got to believe it. I don't know. I'm spinning my wheels here with the Big Lebowski, and it should um, be a fun, fun drop. Yeah, that's why this podcast. is one of the darkest, most cynical movies I've ever seen in my life. I just end up no, crying I just, at the end. I just uh, hate the Big Lebowski so much. I just hated right, him in this I just, movie. Uh, I, just wanted, I, I, think I, just, I think you're hating. It's like hating the boogeyman. But uh, I got a question for you, and it's going to take a different direction here. Listen to this, and and then we'll see. Please see him, Jeffrey. He's a good man. And thorough. <laughs> what exactly is the thoroughness of the physician? What does he do to the, the big Lebowski when he goes and see him to have him feeling so good when he's driving down the street smoking a blunt in his car? What exactly happens in that doctor's office it's when his pants question. come down? Does he yeah. like manually jack him off so he can get a semen sample? No, because... Uh, does he blow no. him? No. I mean, he's a pretty well, handsome well, doctor. No. If you're into that whole uh, Asian sub, I mean, uh, Indian subcontinent thing. That is a mystery, though. It is a mystery why he's like so popping excited there. And they sort of, they talk about later when uh, Maude asked him if he went and saw the doctor. And uh, she's telling him that she sent him to the doctor so she could figure out if he was fit to sire her child. Yeah, I don't understand that And then the Big Lebowski goes, oh, yeah, that's why. And then they left, leave it unsaid. He must have gotten a CERN sample with the thoroughness of his... uh, Thoroughness of his uh, gloved hand with plenty of... I mean, a water-based lubricant on it. Well, if that was the case, then he would just preserve a sample in IVF, old mod. But but, uh, uh, the dude has to fuck her anyway. Maybe he just checked him for, like obvious external sides of uh, venereal disease. And maybe he took a swab around his glands or something. That wouldn't make you happy. That wouldn't make you bop down the road having a a Q-tip shoved up your urethra. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I I mean, everybody, some people like a good sounding. Is that what that's called? Mm Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, you know, there is that weird fetishist body mod crowd that are into the Prince Albert and all that weird shit where they're shoving metal rods down their penis. And uh, where is what is with that? It's not a sensitive region. It's it's a, it's a painful region. It is if you get all the way uh, to your, uh, what is that gland called down there? The, the prostate? Uh, the prostate, oh yeah. Jamming a fucking Q-tip down your crank. <laughs> There's no joy. 
There's no joy to be had there. None. It sounds so, like... So we don't know what the doctor did. We don't know what he was thorough about, actually. We can only th- guess, which I'm sure is what they meant. Yeah, I don't know. He's like checking his ear. And he's like, oh, drop your pants. He's like, no, man. And the, he, he hit me right here. <laughs> he's playing at his job. I still jerk off manually. <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines, too. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, that's a mystery. It's a big mystery in the movie. Yeah, I guess we'll never know. Uh, let's see. There, I didn't. It's a male take... myth about feminists that we hate sex. It can be a natural, zesty enterprise. I like that line too. Zesty enterprise. Zesty. Zesty's a uh, zesty is really an adjective that's only used in describing salad dressings. I'm pretty sure. I don't know where zesty ever comes into play. Uh, I don't that. know. We have to look at the the etiology of the word. Yeah, zesty. It's always used to describe salad dressings. I've, I haven't. I well, because a lot of times they actually context. have zest in them, which is the rind of a citrus plant. That's true. That is what zest is, isn't it? That's maybe where the word comes from. Because if you look up cocktail recipes, a lot of time they'll say they always have cock zest. in them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Or tail, I, but, which really oh, are two sides of the same coin if you think about it. Tail and cock, mm-hmm. cocktail. Hey, now you're saying, now you're getting to the point. Why are cocktails called cocktails? No idea. So um, <clears throat> so we never answered that one. The other one, how about the relationship between uh, the dude and, um, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, uh, Walter. Walter. Walter I mean, Sobchak. It is, it is a weird relationship. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> Asian American, please. I just don't. I'm not sure why they're friends. I think it's just well, because nobody else can put up with either of them. I was wondering that too, because there's the scene at the end where they scatter Danny's ashes, mm-hmm. uh, and you're watching that and like, why the fuck are they friends? And I think it might be one of those deals where they've known each other for so long, and you just you you, you just like you and I have been friends for 20 years. That's a fairly long time mm-hmm. uh we do have a lot in common but uh i don't know we both have our personality quirks that maybe get amplified with age and so yeah. you may you may have had the dude who's a pacifist <laughs> along with Smokey. both of those guys yeah, Smokey too, yeah. Smokey. and then you have walter who went to vietnam and then came home fucked up and uh, opened his own like home security store, mm-hmm. which I never really figured out what Walter did until this. Oh, you uh, never know him when they pick him up for the uh... soap check security. I never yeah. figured that out. I never figured out he owned. He was a businessman who owned his own mini mall uh, home security store. Mm-hmm. So. That's why he had all his guns. And uh, when he was sitting out there with the ringer for a ringer, my dirty undies, dude. <laughs> Laundry, the whites, the whites. <laughs> I love that. You see his that big. Suitcase full of his used uh, tidy whities. <laughs> yeah, why, why, why not that and just like a bag of, or a bag of gravel? Why like or what the action? Big Lebowski did, which is some uh, phone books. If you can still yeah. find some, yeah. Fuck. I saw a phone book the other day. It was uh, sitting out in front of a business that I haven't seen open in probably a decade. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Well, they get paid by how many phone books they deliver. My last time I got delivered, just a tiny little wisp of a phone book. It's like only about an inch thick when they used to be like three inches thick. It went right in the recycle bin. Just think your mom would have been out of a job now. She probably wouldn't have a job anymore, right? Because she used to do graphic design. Oh, yeah. They were downsizing before she left. 
Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Their yeah. their money was they were bleeding. Their income, their money's in were just falling like a rock. I can see that because uh, yeah, I get I, they stopped delivering phone books when I would get them usually yearly. Yeah, you're right. Immediately into the recycle bin. I mean, well, I Seattle just... actually made an ordinance where you have to request the phone book. They're no longer allowed oh. to deliver them. Oh, that's a good fuck. Who uses a phone book anymore? That was I... well, that was one of uh, Mayor Nichols' best uh, pieces of uh, legislation. I know. Kudos to to Mayor Nichols. Yeah, homeless camps are still called Nicholsville. By the way, I don't understand yeah, that. Classic whatever. stuff. Where were we? We were talking about uh, Walter and uh, the dude's relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's my take, is that they just have been friends for so long. And they might have been friends before Vietnam. I don't uh, get that when, feeling. I have a feeling they met each other afterwards, and it's really the bowling that sticks them together. It could be. It could be that they're just bowlers, and mm-hmm. that's what they have in common. And they were paired, like, in a team and uh, just had a, you know, sort of a... I've been friends with people that that I should have no commonality with. For unknown reasons, just you know, that's the way it goes. But Walter, I think, is one of the most colorful characters. I mean, it just—he just never stops giving. Hell, I'd get you towed by three o'clock this afternoon with nail polish. <laughs> you know what's awesome about Walter is that yeah. he's fucking right about everything in this movie. He is. Both he and the dude are right. Whenever they conject what's happening, it's what actually is happening. <laughs> Even though the dude takes a long time to believe what he's posited. Right. I mean, the only thing that Walter's really wrong about is uh little larry little larry this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass larry (laughs) that's the only thing he's like wrong about in the Mm -hmm. whole film and it's somewhat minor uh he bashes in some assholes corvette out on the street but yeah like like that initial scene where where you know they dump the ringer for a ringer and uh he rolls out of the car and the machine gun spins around (laughs) he he sprains his ankle yeah, and then he's just like, oh, fuck it, dude. You know, yeah, she's probably go, kidnapped herself. Roll. Oh, the poor woman. Yeah. <laughs> that poor you're woman. You're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, I think that's what really makes this movie shine, that that strange friendship. It's really interesting. Well, and it's not it's it's not disingenuous. I think, like, friendships like that authentically exist in our in our society. And uh, it's one of those things of people who have been friends for a really long time. And they just, you know, they just just kind of, you may not have much in common after a certain point, but you're still friends just because you have, it's almost like a marriage, I guess, you know. Yeah, just, I always wonder what keeps friendships like that together in the long term. Uh, like a, just somebody understands you at a certain I, level. And not understands you like... I understand your world. Just understands your quirks and neuroses and why you're fucked up and you know things don't things don't necessarily. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, like no. like well, the dude understands that Walter's like a fucked up vet and mm-hmm. he's an asshole, but there's a certain level of forgiveness there throughout most of the film where it's just like you know he doesn't he doesn't disown him. It's not the break point of their friendship, even though he like trashes his car and <laughs> he doesn't trash his car, but it instigates that whole scene. Where... Well, it's because everybody else would be so annoyed by him that the dude's the only guy that can just let it roll off his back and say, ah, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. And it doesn't. And that's the thing, you mm-hmm. know, that's uh, why he, uh, his wife probably left him. 
Well, yeah, and you get some empathy with the dude. It's like with the old Cynthia shit man. It's like if my ex wife told me to take care of their dog while her and her husband went to Hawaii, <laughs> I I don't go fuck herself. <laughs> but but the fact that he's so comfortable saying that to Walter, yeah, you know, means that like that's kind of a long term friendship where you can just basically say lay lay the truth on the line. Like, dude. You well, know, nobody's going to change Walter's mind, no matter what you say. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You might as well be talking to a rock. <laughs> that character, though, I think I think John Goodman in, uh, what was that? It was in the actor's studio. Remember that? Mm. Yeah. The actor's studio with, what's his name? Mr. Right. Weird looking face. Yeah, right. Uh, said that, that that Walter is his favorite character of all time. That's like his absolute favorite role. And and I can totally believe it because John Goodman's a great actor, and uh, this role, and I think it's got to be Jeff Bridges' favorite role. I, I can't see how it. Oh, I be. think he brought a lot of himself to it. I mean, he even wrote a book about it. Oh, did he? Yeah, he was uh, pimping that. it on the, some of the radio shows uh, about uh, nine months ago. It was like a Taoist look at the dude's uh, theory on life. <laughs> well, one one thing is is that Jeff Bridges brought his own clothes to the set for the dude like oh like that, that sweater and, and the pants yeah that were the, his. the jellies the, the jelly i think the jellies were his <laughs> all right well we, we're going on about the characters but there's one mystery that we really need to resolve about this film and it's why the fuck was it filmed six years prior or seven years prior to its release or why was the time period six seven years prior to its release why was uh, it the I don't, Eve. I don't, you know, I don't know why. Why did we have to go fight that camel fucker? <laughs> I just so they could use the draw line in the sand business, maybe. No, was it? See, this ties in back to my whole Big Lebowski end of the Reagan era uh, idea, and this is I, the dying of Reaganism. I doubt if it's as salient as that. I'd like to give it credit, but I just was like, why is this movie set? On the eve of the invasion of Kuwait, why, why did they do that? And other than, like, I mean, it's a meme, right? I mean, if anything, if anything, the whole first and second Gulf Wars were all about rich people doing what they want on the world stage with no thoughts to how it would benefit anybody else in the entire world. Uh, true. I mean. I mean, what was the, the point of going and rescuing Kuwait? Who gave a shit? It's just oh, a propped-up Western-friendly regime. It's to secure oil fields. Yeah. Uh, ensure the stability of Saudi Arabia, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's obvious now. But, I, I like, and it's a meme in the film, right? Because you got Saddam. He's the guy working behind the counter, renting you know, the, the uh, bowling shoes, which uh-huh. is great. And that's what I thought of Saddam when... Uh, the second Gulf War, we were pumping up that whole business. I was like, you know what? You should just stick to that parody in in the Big Lebowski of fucking Saddam giving you bowling shoes because that's kind of that's kind of what it amounts to. Would you love to see a Big Lebowski too take place at the eve of the second Gulf War? Wouldn't that be fucking awesome? With George W. Bush Jr. Staring oh. scared into the camera like he used to back. Oh, God. That guy was such a fuck up. I mean, he'd say what you like about George Bush Sr., but his son was a total retard. It would be awesome to see Walter spouting George W. Bush nonsense. That would be pretty. That would oh, be mission pretty accomplished. Well, that would yeah. have been after the fact. Mm. Yeah. That yeah. would be hilarious. 
<laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think uh, you can't sully the gem of the Big Lebowski with the with the sequel. I, I don't think. God, we, I still cannot believe we fought that second Gulf War. It still blows my mind. Oh uh, well, the fact that you know, in my pea brain. I was like, why the fuck are they going in there? What what the fuck is this about? And everybody was, man, everybody was into it. Everybody I was. No, I have no, I, it still doesn't, it makes no sense to me. It was, there was, there was no point. Oh, I'll look, well, uh, we got, no, I'm not talking about politics anymore. I'm sorry. All right, sorry. Enough okay, said. we'll move on. Uh, anyway, but yeah, it, it, so there's, and this was before the second i mean this was before you know the war on terror so this movie was the end of the 90s but still why to put the movie in 1991 i i i or 90 whenever whenever that happened i i just i was like why do they do that other than just to insert like drawing a line in the sand and camel fuckers and uh walter sort of uh uh redemptive opinion of of the u.s and u.s army i don't know well in a way i think this is after they had won best picture for fargo this movie i thought fargo came after this oh did fargo come after this i don't know did it no i think you're right i think it came before this and i think they had like a bigger budget than you should have had to film this story and i think they would allow them to set it in a period i mean you could imagine that all the costs are going to go up to set a movie in, as a period piece. So maybe they just had the money and just decided to do it on a lark. Or maybe they had actually written this screenplay in 91. I uh, think it was, I mean, it was uh, a screenplay that was cold from a lot of people that they knew personally, especially uh, the dude who was a friend of theirs who helped them get money for a blood symbol named Jeff Dowd. And uh, Walter, this, this is going to come as a shock, but not a surprise to you. Uh, Walter was fashioned after uh, their mutual friend John Milius. Oh, really? Oh, I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah, gun nutty John Milius of uh, director of Conan the Barbarian, writer of Apocalypse <laughs> Now. <laughs> oh, Milius, that's funny. So yeah. there's a name that just always keeps coming up. Fucking John Milius. I don't know what he's doing these days, but that guy. If I could hang out with any film director, film guy, film writer, I would definitely put... I think I would hang out with John Milius over Scorsese. I think I'd rather hang out with John Milius. I don't know. You? I don't know. I'm not a big Scorsese fan. I mean, he has some good stuff, but he sort of passed his prime. Well, you, you wouldn't want to... I know you'd like to hang out with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. I think those Yeah, would just be so weird. I could kick them both in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you could pull a gun on them and make them make out with each other. Oh, fucking... that sounds hot. Oh, <laughs> uh, and say like I'm your father, Luke, or something over and over again. That would be. That would oh be... yeah, they'll have do some sort of incest role play. <laughs> You're right, right up my alley, man. John Milius. I think John Milius would be one of my favorite people to to hang out if i if i had a free card to go chill with some of the 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 latter latter film greats what else there's so much here i don't know what to go on about with the big lebowski phone's ringing dude <laughs> i use that one there's to a this character day. we haven't mentioned donnie yeah i use that one to this day like when when, I, when i'm in an office meeting and 
like for some reason phone calls always take precedent over personal one-on-one in the flesh conversations have you noticed that why that why that why that's a, why that's a uh a courtesy now why that, i i fucking hate it um, no but my younger brother does it all the time if he if i'm talking with him his phone rings that conversation stops and i give him a hard time every time well i'll be at work and i'll be in a, somebody's office and i'll be talking with them and their phone rings and then i'll be like oh go ahead like i allow them to do it if I don't, they go, I got to take this, and then they pick it up. Like the phone, it's like a bomb that starts ticking. And I don't know what, like, what people's fascination is. I mean, that's why they have voicemail. I got some policies. If I'm talking to somebody and the phone's ringing, it's going to voicemail. If I, if when I get to my desk, I answer all my emails first before I look, before I listen to the voicemail. No, I'm with you, but I, I don't know why it's it's taken that priority. And so... <laughs> it's just that it's a ring. It's alarm. People hate it. It's like your morning alarm. You turn it off not because you want to get up, but just because you don't want to listen to that fucking thing any longer. And so now when I'm, <laughs> I, I when when people's phones are ringing and they're not answering, I stop. I go, phones ringing, dude. I can't help it. I no, it's can't. classic. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of great quotes in this movie. I mean, uh, let's see here. I'll suck your cock for a thousand dollars. Yeah, I was wrong. I had said I use that every pod- day. <laughs> I was that said in the in the previous podcast that it was suck your cock for a hundred dollars, and I did not give Tara Reed's character. Well, she does uh, talk about a hundred dollars, so the other guy can he has to pay a hundred if he wants to watch. Right, I think that's where I got confused. Yeah, I, I got totally confused. It's quite a discount. A thousand dollars to have Tara Reed suck your cock in nineteen ninety eight. Oh, well, I guess it depends how much money you have. Oh, let's see here. Let's see another one. Here's, here's one of my favorites. She's not my special lady. She's my fucking lady friend. I'm just helping her conceive, man. A special lady friend. That's why I call Gene all the time. Well, Mark and I use that. Well, we no, we. I think we would say special fucking lady friend, wouldn't we? we would, I don't know. We, we say some variation on that. That always cracked me up. Yeah, that, that that's like a Mark and I meme. We 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 dredge that one up quite a bit. It's like, oh, I got I got a date with my special lady friend tonight. That's uh <laughs> I like that. I think it's a nice term. I think it's a good it's a fucking lady friend. Uh the other one, it's all my experience over the last decade with funeral homes. I love this one. It is our most modestly priced receptacle. <laughs> I mean that whole scene, that guy's been through the the, the whole rigmarole with uh uh you know, getting somebody buried. It's just uh just amazing like like just a few days after anybody you love dies, you go there and you get fleeced by these fuckers every that, time. That's just how it goes. It's just part of it's part of the mourning process. You got to go get fleeced by the fuckers over at the funeral home. Do you? I mean, it's blow, that, it blows your mind. It'll blow. It'll blow your mind when you see it. Just enjoy it. Unless you guys are do if unless the whoever it is got something through the Neptune Society. No, man. I'm. I, I think I, I don't have it anywhere set in stone but i'm like full neptune i'm totally well that's what you should do because it is just a terrible walk of shame it's like get your credit cards out why do they do <laughs> that to for stuff it's a business it's I know the it's capitalist ideal man well the thing that i find probably most morbid and my mom my mom has burial insurance uh-huh. i'm like I- i'm gonna get a pine box and lean you up against the chain link and they'll get to you when they get to you. You know, that's kind of like what I want to do. With You'd it. like to think then, of it. They have so many rules. I mean, you not only have to buy, you have to buy the box, right? You got to pay for the, 
uh, the when they fill you full of formaldehyde. And well, that's the, that's the see that's that's the whole burial. You have to pay for the crypt. Remember, they put that pine, they put that wooden box into, inside of a concrete crypt. That's part of the, how, that's the burial rules. In oh, Washington really? State. They don't? Yeah. So there's a huge concrete box with a concrete lid that they put the box in. They put the coffin in, and then they put this concrete lid over the top of it. And you got to pay for the excavation. Then you got to pay for them to fill the dirt in. There's a tamping charge for for tamping the dirt down i'm not joking wait a minute so okay so they just don't put your shiny glossy uh no. showroom purchased coffin no it goes in a crypt what they call a crypt it's a big concrete box it doesn't touch dirt no it, it tu- oh i didn't know that No, it goes inside a big concrete box what the fuck and believe me they're not free as you might imagine so how do they get this giant cement crypt down into the six-foot hole? I don't see that. I've never seen them put the actual crypt in place. Uh, they just dig a huge hole. they got a bunch of devices with ropes and stuff. Holy stuff crap. In there. Well, okay, so both your parents were, were buried the old-fashioned way? They mm-hmm. were, uh, okay, so they weren't cremated is what you're saying. They actually got a good deal. They bought the whole process uh, back like in the 70s. So they oh. took care of all the basic stuff. They just uh, hit us with all the add-ons. Oh, the undercoating, the coffin. Yeah, the undercoating. undercoating. You know, you don't want the bottom of this crypt, this crypt to rust out. <laughs> well, and and see, for me, I'm I'm like full cremation. I just like as soon as I drop dead, I just want some dude to come in there with a blowtorch and gasoline and just reduce me to ashes as quickly as possible. I, I just the, the concept. Uh, but do you of, want them to grind up the bones for you, or do you want to just take it the bones? You don't want to just get the bones, do you? You got to grind is, them up. Wait a minute, you got to grind up cremated remains. Yeah, you, you get left with a charred skeleton that then goes into a big coffee grinder. That's how you get that that fine puree of ashes. Oh, at the end. perfect. Whatever, whatever really <laughs> reduces me to carbon as quickly as possible mm-hmm. is just is is to me where where I want to go. I I, I want to be. Uh, Devoid of the world. And I'd recommend to, paying for it in advance. Well, no, that's a good idea. Like, well, the Neptune Society is cheap, right? It's like 1500 bucks, and they just... Yeah, they, they just take... Like, they, they, uh, they, uh, well, they get whatever uh, uh, resellable product they can out of your body, and then... Uh, oh, I don't know. I can't blame them. But the whole... Like, my mom has burial insurance, and she just wants this big morbid ceremony and everything. And... Uh, I'm like, yeah, but you, your, your skeleton with its flesh will be like just slowly deteriorating underground for like they could, very slowly. They could like bring you up and you would be horrible looking and uh, scary. And, and do you want that? Do you want? Do you want rented space in this world after you're gone? It Maybe just, she to wants me, to be buried in her noon buggy. <laughs> Died like she lived. <laughs> Start That's going to be an expensive crypt. Holy smokes. Don't, don't get me started on that. But I don't know. Yeah. So um, Rose and I had a conversation the other day because ha- we have a really old wiener dog. She's like 17 and a half. And we already have enough mammals in our house. And it's a it's a chore taking care of them all. Uh, I'm just like, you know, we, we have conversations about when she's going to die. Almost mm-hmm. bets. And we're like... So what happens? I mean, do we, you know, do we take her into the vet? They they give her the 
the pink fluid or whatever they do to you know put animals down. Mm. Um, then what happens? And then Rose was like, well, you know, then they, they take them off to cremation, and then a, a week later you get a little box of remains. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Well, they, they can. A- if you want to, you just bury them in your yard. Well, I don't know. Seattle may not allow you to do that. No, that's what we've always done, but we had cats, so cats are pretty easy to throw. Although my parents did bury their pig in the backyard. That humongous fucking pig? That must have been a hell of a hole. pound pig. They, they just... Oh, I can't believe your dad dug a hole big enough for that. Dug a giant... <laughs> Pig hole in the backyard. <laughs> and, I, hope and, we die. I hope we put it deep enough so the coyotes didn't come tear him and up. flopped its uh, flopped that poor animal's oh, remains. Man. He must have to dig fast before that thing blowed it up. I don't know, man, but it, he's there. You can dig into my parents' yard and you can find a whole porcine skeleton. skeleton. <laughs> so uh, that's how we always did it at the Rivet household. Uh-huh. But, but Rose had dogs, and she's like, well. You know, they'll cremate them, and then they'll bring the remains to you a few days later. And I was like, how, do they, how the fuck are they going to send your 12-pound dog into an incinerator, do that whole business of, you know, burning it for however long it takes to burn it, and as uh-huh. you said, crush the skeleton and give you a little mm-hmm. box? That's way too much money for, I don't know, however much it costs to put an animal down. It's just way too much money. They've got to be doing it differently and then a week later a freakonomics podcast came out talking about the process of animal cremation and they actually did tests oh to see took, if it was actually your very animal that you got yeah they would they would do what's some left kind that you could test. check i don't know they had I don't you, know, could, you know you could some... radioactively label your oh you got to feed that dog some some sort of long-lived <laughs> uh radioisotope can you get something like that at work i might be able to dig something up for you Something that wouldn't hurt it, but uh, you could uh, run, run a Geiger counter over the ashes. I forget the details. I don't want to slow down everything by looking it up, but it was uh, it was some deal where they were able to do a scientific study and break out the remains of the animal and uh, determine if it was actually your animal or not. Mm-hmm. And I think what they came down to the realization was is that uh, there was there was scant evidence to indicate that your animal is in the remains that you get back. <laughs> so. Well, those crematoriums are probably all made for human size. They must line the pets up in the little sled that they put a human body on normally. Well, that's what I was thinking. It's like so they probably, it's, they probably do like 12 or 15 together at a time. Then so you put... Yeah, you put like a German Shepherd, a couple of wiener dogs, and a cat. You know, it's like, like it's like a terrible game of uh, of a uh, Tetris <laughs> with, with <laughs> stiff animal bodies. Uh, can you imagine having that job? Oh, you know what I could really use here is a Greyhound. It fit in perfectly between those three Rottweilers. Yeah, and I'm guessing that you're not treating everybody's pet with the reverence that those those people uh assume that you're using well you know, whatever like, less reverence than human bodies getting cremated <laughs> whatever that may be god forbid i don't even know at I least just, you know i think maybe that's the thing at least when you have your body uh uh fixed and you bury that at least you know it's the body of the person you actually know you're burying that person that's true there's something to be said uh, for that in all their formaldehyde glory, uh-huh. they're, yeah. they're going into the yeah. hole at, in, in uh, I guess, uh, as a whole or part of a whole or yeah. depending. Yeah. 
Yeah, as opposed to just here's a bucket of burnt ashes that mm-hmm. may or may not be your loved one. But uh, yeah, they whatever. should. They what they should do is like take part of their skin and make it leather, and then put the ashes inside that leather pouch. I think that'd be. I think that'd be nice. And then put a big swastika on that leather pouch made of their <laughs> own skin. That would be perfect. Well, maybe everybody <laughs> has to have their own unique tattoo. So when you get the ashes back, you know it came from that body. I, like a little like nine digit number that's tattooed onto the inside of their wrist. <clears throat> And they can put that on the remains. And wow, All right. that's a great idea. <laughs> I think I think you get a lot of public traction for that. <laughs> yeah, there wouldn't be any pushback at all from that mm-hmm. kind of initiative. Um, so let's go uh, read some reviews. Eber uh, reviewed the movie uh, when it came out back in uh, 98. Uh, gave it three stars, which is a, a thumbs up. He says, The Coen Brothers' The Big Lebowski is a gen- genial, shambling comedy about the about a human train wreck and should come with the warning, with a warning like the one Mark Twain attached to Huck Finn. Persons attempting to find a plot in it will be shot. Didn't Tolkien put a similar forward in The Hobbit? No. Lord he, was of the t- Rings? He, was talk- he was talking about... Uh, theme and allegory, I believe. Yeah, Tolkien's. Yes, correct. Yeah. But both sort of uh, uh, a forward well, to say, don't take this book too seriously. No, no, let's just say that plot's a little bit more important than allegory. I'm just saying, so. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. For entertainment value. No, no, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. But there is a plot in this movie, and maybe we should all be shot. Um, <laughs> he says this movie is... Um, Weirdly engaging. You know, I okay. have to agree there. Let's see here. Um, well, this is this is uh, prior cult status. So yeah, this is this is this is a review that was made when the film came out. He says, in spirit, the Big Lebowski resembles the Coen's raising Arizona with its large cast of peculiar characters and uh, strangely wonderful dialogue. I've never seen Raising Arizona, have you? I have, but the thing about The Big Lebowski is every character so, I mean, the characters are more endearing. It's the most endearing set of characters I think the Coen mm-hmm. brothers have ever delivered to screen. Uh, that's my opinion. He says Los Angeles is a zoo of uh, peculiar characters. I guess that's sort of how this the film is sort of a, a zoo. Uh, he does mention the the musical comedy sequences that we didn't talk about, and uh, the uh, Bu- Busby uh, Berkeley uh, inspired uh, dance routine during was it gutter balls? Well, you have the the Kenny Rogers and the Fifth Dimension soundtrack going on that song of theirs, and I forget what's the yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But there's th- there's th- how many different musical interlude scenes are there? Three for each time that the the uh... there's the long one when he gets n- knocked out with the and... drugs. Yeah, and that's that was the gutter one balls, my... right? Yeah, right, right. Um, but I, yeah, there's the other one with the nihilist chasing around with scissors. And, well, isn't uh... that the same one? That's how that one ends. Oh, you're right. Fuck. I, okay. I. I... I I think, I'm with you. We're gonna have long. to watch this movie again. Pay no, more there's attention. the Bob Dylan one where he's flying over Los Angeles, and then he grabs the bowling, bowling ball, ball and, flies and falls to down. The yeah. yeah, right. Uh, that's that's after um, because Maude is flying away on the carpet. That's when Maude comes and steals back the replacement carpet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe those are the only two musical sequences. Maybe. All right. 
Uh, and he says that uh, some complain that the Big Lebowski rushes in all directions and uh, never ends up anywhere. And he says that that isn't the film's flaw, but its style. Okay. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. This review is okay, I guess. I, I didn't find anything. Too. Did you well, find anything in this 98 review? That not really. It's just weird how movies have to be lensed through history to have an impact. And this one, you can kind of tell Ebert really liked it, but he was caught flat-footed because he didn't have sort of a, a, a cultural perspective that the film has accumula- accumulated since. Well, I why? mean, due to the second Gulf War? Well, no. <laughs> well, just why did people glom on to certain uh, I, uh, it's gotta be it's just film. gotta be the characters it's the colorful characters that people like that's why well, people and the, like and this movie you, not it's yeah. social commentary on the social stratas yeah even though I went into that for about a half hour but no oh, but, it's, it's a gripping half hour of <laughs> but uh, that's the reason like there's a Lebowski fest and people dress up like the famous characters yeah. because they just they're it's into because the of characters. the characters and and the whole uh, John Turturro pederast subplot it's not even a subplot it's just, yeah, it's just that's just up. i mean that's just it's it's just a thing it's like a splash of color across the film right it's like oh there's this great character we got to put in he's like this uh flamboyant uh like i don't know hispanic bowler <laughs> who looks like a fucking uh, tuturo can play any nationality he is he has that kind of swarthy edge that he can just those mediterranean jewish guys some of those guys um, uh, they can, they just write the skin tone is perfect you can take it in any direction you want sephardic jew i believe that's the proper that's mm. the proper nomenclature dude <laughs> right Chinaman. so it's yeah and he plays like a, a fucking like matador bowler who's a pederast it's like oh you can't not put that in the movie it's fucking brilliant but and it's nothing th- more than just color Oh, it's just total color. And, like, who else is in that group? There's, like, uh, oh, his buddy with the cop mustache and the buzz cut. That guy's I, That great. guy must be a real bowler because he's and not he an actor. And he doesn't even say anything, Well, he, he? he's, he's trying to act, but he's terrible. He has it's no like, lines. I know. It's fucking brilliant. I think it's just Smokey. some guy they knew. And then there's Smokey, who's, who seems like that actually has to be, a, like, a real guy named Smokey. Like, you're watching that, and, like, you know, he gets the gun pulled on. <laughs> I thought that was pretty well acted. I'm certain. I'm sure. Certain I know, but I was like, I was like, that guy didn't. He, he must have not auditioned for that part. They must have like. Remember that guy Smokey? We met oh, yeah. the. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we met somebody uh, named Smokey. No, I'm just thinking like the Cone Brothers had to, had to like have that guy in mind before they even put that character in the film. Like they didn't go out and audition for Smokey. They're like, oh, remember that one guy we met a while ago? Let's put him in the movie. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he he didn't look like an amateur, like the guy with the mustache. No, no, no. But he looked, he just looked so specific. Yeah. Then maybe they they had auditioned him for some other part in the past and they always wanted to use his look and they they had. Like Sam Elliott. You know, they, 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 they wrote, they wrote. Well, I forget the narrator, what what he's called in the film, but they they wrote that film around, that part around Sam Elliott because it couldn't have put anybody else in it. You know, it's like, oh, can we get Sam Elliott? Okay, we can get Sam Elliott. Okay, well then we'll write the part for him. You know, mm. it was one of those kind of movies where they they knew the folks ahead of time before they started populating the film. It's something they had been probably, as you said earlier, they've been had this movie sort of on and off the back burner, sort of. Yeah. Exactly. Probably feeling it with endless characters as they came across interesting people through their film careers. Yeah. Um, 
Ebert did actually go back and uh, re-review this movie as it does from time to time for movies that he calls great movies. Uh, he did it back well, not long before he died. When did he die? Did he die in 11 or something? Yeah, I think so. He uh, did this re-review on uh, March 10th of 2010, gave it four stars. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to read a couple things from it. Uh, the Big Lebowski is about an attitude, not a story. It's easy to miss that because the story is so urgently pursued. It involves kidnapping, ransom money, a porno king, a reclusive millionaire, a runaway girl, the Malibu police, a woman who paints while nude and st- strapped to an overhead harness, and uh, the last act of the disagreement between Vietnam veterans and flower power. Um. <laughs> It does. It's just it's such a hodgepodge, such a potpourri. He does say again that uh, he reminds him a little bit of Raising Arizona, and he says because of the madness of the film, only a steady hand allows them to hold it together, sort of complimenting the Cohen's directorial storytelling abilities, which I think are um, <clears throat> nicely displayed uh, by keeping the movie cohesive when it really wants to be pulled in a million directions. Uh, he says, uh, here's something new. He talks about the inspiration for the supporting characters can perhaps be found in the novels of Raymond Chandler. He says the dude in a sense is Philip Marlowe, not in his energy or focus, but in the code he lives by. He says, uh, the dude does not lie, cheat or steal. Uh, but he wants what is right. And he insists on sort of an idea of don't tread on me. I don't know. I don't know if that's totally true. I've heard people talk about it as this is sort of a weird, perverted film noir, but I still can't quite see it, except for that private dick business. Well, it may have started out that way, but it definitely morphed into something else. I mean, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Uh, he does call out a couple of good performances that we didn't talk about. Uh, Peter Stormare as one of the nihilists. That must oh, be I love exhausting. The fucking nihilist, man. Oh, and Flea. Flea's, a Flea's in there. And, yeah, and uh, Amy Philip, Mann. And Amy Mann. Yeah, she's pretty good. <laughs> and Philip Seymour Hoffman is the, the assistant Brant. Oh, yeah. I forget about role. Philip Seymour Before Hoffman. his career really blew up. Right, right, right. Um, he has a line here. You're going to love this line. Maybe you can explain it to me. He says The film is all about Jeff Lebowski's equanimity in the face of vicissitudes. Whoa, say that again. The film is all about Jeff Lebowski's equanimity in the face of vicissitudes. I don't even... Wow. I, 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 we right. know vicissitudes. Means uh, various uh, comings and goings of life. Good things, bad things. You know, fate turning in your favor and turning uh, against you. What but what's, and what, what does equanimity use? mean? Equanimity. Well, or is it, it equanimity? I can, we can look it up real quick. Uh, you don't need to look it up. To. I just thought I thought you'd get a kick out of that sentence. Uh, no, well, Ebert does that from time to time. He'll he'll. Uh, that, that's an SAT word, but I, I do like vicissitudes. It's, there's so nothing else. Qu- equanimity is a state of psychological stability and composure, which is undisturbed by experience or exposure to emotions, pain, or phenomena. Hmm. Yeah, okay. there you go. Yeah, I mean, he does he does uh <clears throat> get over being drugged and hit pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Eagles, man. I hate the fucking Eagles. You know, this movie uh gave me uh the courage to spout out that I fucking hate the Eagles cuz I really do fucking hate the Eagles. I kept thinking that there was a shred of the Eagles that were redeeming cuz my dad was a huge Eagles fan. Eagles 
Greatest Hits Volume One is the greatest selling album of all times. It's the second it? greatest album. I'm selling that. I'm put it on my Christmas list. And I just was like, why do I hate the fucking Eagles? Why are the Eagles so terrible? Why and are they? I don't want to get into it in the podcast because let's take another twenty. Look, minutes, look we got but... another half hour. We're only at, we're only at one hour forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> My dad loved him, and I was just I was thinking. Well, and then each member spawned their own solo career with uh, varying degrees of success. And uh, listening to him is just as a kid. It's like a five-year-old kid in the back of my parents' Toyota Corolla listening to their tape get, tape deck uh, captive. There was, there was bands and songs that I remember from the 70s enjoying, and then there was ones that made my skin crawl and made me hate myself. And the Eagles were one of those bands. It's like, okay, if I can just make it to Hotel California – I think I can, uh, you know, I think I think I can like get through this this side of the tape, but then there's like Witchy Woman. Oh my God, what a terrible fucking song Witchy Woman is. I just you and Adam Carolla, you guys are in perfect agreement there. He's I have gone off on well, Witchy Woman three I'm, or four times just I for know, half I, hours though. Yeah, I know, and I'm in agreement. I, I I have nothing good to say about the Eagles. So, but to like Credence, and I think everybody admits that Credence Clearwater, or at least John Fogerty, is ten times the artist of any one of the Eagles, uh, is 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 without question. Although they kind of came out in the same era and lumped in the same classic rock bin, but, but I fucking hate. You do love the mariachi rendition of Hotel California. See, that's so. the thing. I think it's the Gypsy Kings. It is the Gypsy do. Kings. See, but that's yeah. See, when that that's starts awesome up, song. that's a fucking awesome scene. Amazing. Uh, right. So Ebert wraps this up, which is much more uh, <clears throat> insightful than the equanimity in the face of vicissitudes, which is accurate. Now that I have the definitions of those words, um, he says that uh, the dude abides, and that um, if a man has a roof over his head fresh half and half for his white russians and a little weed with his bowling buddies what more does he really need i think that's i think yeah, that's pretty fair that in a way the dude sort of keeps his eyes on what's important in life right. which is not necessarily uh <clears throat> striving for success and achieving as achieving. the big as the big that's lebowski right. says but it's about living right yeah, no, it's a nice balance. Well, it's it's how we rate success, and uh, I'm much more on the dude side of the fence. I've never seen the dude as, even though they say it that he's a very lazy man. I don't really see him as as a real lazy man. I mean, when I think of a lazy person, I think of somebody who is too scared to go out of their house and piles up shit in the corner. Those are depressed people. Those yeah, aren't lazy people. The, but the, the dude's, dude's not, not depressed. depressed. He just doesn't find the need to achieve. I mean, he's in a bowling league. He's actually what. The film shows that he's actually probably a pretty good bowler. Yeah, yeah. He's a good friend to people, like his landlord. He goes see his terrible dance play. <laughs> no. You know, I mean, he helps people out when he needs to. I just don't, I mean, certainly he doesn't want to get a job and go sit in front of a desk and push paper around, but does that mean you're lazy? I think we need uh, a different definition of lazy. Lazy. Well... Yeah, let's see, lazy and depressed, they can get commingled fairly easily. And, well, he's unemployed. So in our society, we view unemployed people almost by choice. He's not 
ambitious to go get a job. That's obviously not his his modus operandi. Um, he, for whatever reasons, can subsist on the level of whether he's on disability or not that uh, uh, is given to him. He's able to subsist on it, but mm-hmm. he obviously has no intent. And he he's fine driving his piece of shit. He's just there's there's he's fine with his his uh, Salvation Army clothes. Um, he just wants to lay on his rug, drink white Russians, and listen to old bowling league tapes. You know that's fine. How about that great so, picture on his wall of Nixon bowling? Fucking Nixon bowling. That's yeah, that's classic. Yeah. See, there's another Republican jab. I'm just saying. I, I think this movie's loaded with it, but you know. Uh, there's a lot to be diced and sliced with uh, the whole Republican commentary yeah. in this film. Yeah, the Film Actors Guild. All right, we've gone on way too much, and Mark's going to have a pretty heavy editing job ahead no, of No, I'm just going to so. fucking put the intro and the outro in and send it out to you. <laughs> yeah, we have like five minutes of dead space while we're trying to gain our connections back and all that fun stuff. That'll be interesting. All right. Uh, all right. So for uh, num- film number 99, next week's film, or next two weeks' film, I don't know when we're going to get it We'll done. see what happens. Yeah. Dude, uh, we'll get is, to it, man. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's going to be, uh, I think it's Richard Avery, uh, Killing Zoe. Never seen it. You've never seen Killing Zoe? No, is it good? It's one of my favorite films. It, it has uh, Quentin Tarantino produced it, so it has that stamp all over it. Hmm. It has uh, that look and feel, uh, that early 90s kind of look and feel cool. edge to it. Uh, Eric Stoltz stars in it. Julie Delpy, still hot. Uh, you get to see her topless, so just saying. Got a little something there for you. Um, mm. Heist film. Mm. It's a heist film, mm. and... I don't know. I watched it. I actually watched it tonight because I, I, I had time. Fun movie. I don't really know what. I, I I don't really know why, but it has an edge to it, and the characters are interesting. Uh, I love heist movies, maybe because of the desperation of the situation, it just makes it a lot more interesting. But it's a good movie. So that's going to be number ninety nine, and uh, that's going to be next week. So until then. Where's the money, Lebowski? You want that money, Lebowski? Bunny says you're good for it. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the fucking money, shithead? It's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. <laughs>